The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning, good morning. We're today we're deviating a little from strictly business, uh, strictly PI topics to a topic that is always a concern to a business owner, whether it's a private investigator or another kind of business owner, exploring the forensics of employee benefits medical plans. But first, a quick announcement. The Council of International Investigators, or CII, uh, is having their annual general meeting in Delhi, India, October 20th to the 25th. If you're interested in either being a member or going to the conference, go to http colon front slash front slash www.cii2, C like Charles, ii2.org. Okay, so my de- guest today is Randall Childers. Hi, Randall. Hey, Francie. How are you? I'm great, and I you're calling in all the way from Kentucky, and I'm in California. <laughs> yes, yeah, a little bit different time. <laughs> uh, so Randall has so much insurance and third-party administrator experience. It's just amazing. Randall, could you please tell us a little bit about, about your background? Sure. Um, I graduated from Hanover College in Indiana. Uh-huh. Uh, I then... Uh, did uh, my field internship at the United Nations in New York on the Center of Transnational Corporations and Department of Disarmament. And then uh, after that, basically uh, started a business um, in the third-party administration and uh, did that for almost 30 years. Um, and through that, have learned a whole lot uh, just by being a good listener. Uh, mm. That's a, a big part of what what uh, helps you to to uh, problem solve and and do other things. Oh, for sure. That's and so how did how in the world did you start or even think to start a third party administrator company? Um, well, basically, um, when I was first started in business, uh, it was basically in the insurance business, and I saw where uh, uh, things that uh, weren't done in the, the client's favor um, and decided that I could put a business together doing the administration on various types of uh, benefit programs and do it in the client's favor and uh, take out the, uh, the excess. Uh, which saved them money and their employees' money. 
And so we did that, and we were a true administrator, um, and we're very successful. Uh, we had about 200 uh, corporations we did on a national basis in various mm-hmm. levels of administration. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. I, it's just, it's one of those things that when you're growing up, oh, I think I'll start a third-party administrator company, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I never ever thought about it. It all got started on a napkin at a Jerry's restaurant in Louisville, really? Kentucky. Yes. Really? Oh, yes, interesting. So, Okay, so you have a designation, a certification of ACFEI. What does that mean? Well, the ACFEI is the American College of Forensic Examiners Institute. Um, It's an organization where uh, people in the forensics field in many different disciplines uh, come together. Uh, It has uh, training. It has uh, certifications. And like I said, there's a lot of different disciplines uh, from pathology to forensic accounting to, oh, pretty much you name it. Um, They cover it and they have some of the best in the world as part of their organization. Okay. Okay. So, and and you're also, I understand, uh, past president of the National Association of Assurance and Financial Advisors. Yes, I, I was uh, served as uh, that for the local chapter in Louisville called Louisville Metro, uh-huh. and uh, it's very rewarding. Um, the the beauty about the organization is is that they uh, it's an association of insurance agents and brokers uh, that are committed to helping people in the financial services industry. And they have a very strong code of ethics, uh, which uh, is something that uh, uh, I, I always suggest to people when you belong to an organization, belong to one with a strong uh, code of ethics. Oh, for uh, sure. And it's very rewarding um, organization. I've, I've been a member of them since 1984. Wow. Okay. So it's been one well. or two years. Yeah, just a couple of years. <laughs> and so you have licenses in life insurance, health insurance. Um, you've got an administrator's license, all kinds of. Are, is it, are these all through the state of Kentucky or are, do they come other, from other places? Um, most of them are in the state of Kentucky and several of them are also with other states. Um, uh, and when... Uh, an organization has me do work for them, I always make sure that uh, my licensure for uh, life and health is done in those states because if I'm going to give them some advice, um, I want to do it on a very high ethical standard and making sure that I'm following all the the laws of the various states that uh, uh, where I have clients that uh, use my services in forensics and advice. Oh, cool. So I'm interested in in your internship with the United Nations. Tell us about that. It, it was very interesting. the The most interesting part was with the uh, uh, Center on Transnational Corporations, and what that is. It, it was uh, basically a code of conduct on a international basis, where a, a company would go into a developing country and may uh, have a certain level of the gross national product of that country. 
And what it was designed to do is to keep that company from dictating to the government on how things are to be done. And vice versa, it was also to have those countries not uh, dictate to a company and kick them out and take over their factories. And so huh. it was very interesting, and uh, that was very early, uh, right as I was uh, in my senior year mm-hmm. uh, in college, and uh, it was just absolutely fascinating to to see how the international uh, basis works for those types of things. What an interesting viewpoint. And so how long did that take? Um, the internship was uh, only four weeks. Um, because of the way the the college was set up, um, we were on a four four one, and that meant you took one uh, field internship, field study, um, in that uh, four week period in the spring. Mm-hmm. And I was one that uh, I wanted to to do that, and I was the only business major um, that was selected to do that at that time. And everybody else was political science. So it, mm-hmm. it made me feel quite good. Yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned that you sat in on was the Department of, for, of Disarmament for International Peace. What was that? Well, at, at that time when I was there, that's when the apartheid um, was going on with, uh, if I remember correctly, Russia and I think it was Africa. South Africa, and, right. And so it had a lot of uh, very interesting talks that were going on, and one of the interesting things was one day I walked out of the United Nations, and uh, I saw New York's finest out there on horseback and uh, everything because uh, there was a protest out in front of the United Nations because of the apartheid that was going on, and that was the main focus uh, when I sat in on the uh, Department of Disarmament. That was the main topic in the general sessions going on. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I was in South Africa about three or four years ago, and it so it's changed a lot. <laughs> changed a lot by now, for sure. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So one of the fun things about you, Randall, that I know from your resume is that you are an EMT. Yes. And uh, you're also a firefighter. Yes, I've retired from firefighting. Um, I, I did that for 15 years, and. Uh, uh, went through the ranks and was the assistant chief, and uh, and then it was time for me to kind of step down and and let the younger folks uh, do the that type of work. Yeah. And uh, but it was very rewarding. Um, serving the community was phenomenal, um, and I really enjoyed that. Well, um, it, just, it, it just it just seems so incongruent to have. Uh, Somebody is a firefighter doing forensic medical plans. <laughs> it, 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 it's interesting. I mean, you know, it took me a while to decide um, to do that. And I did the fire um, as a, uh, what's called an on, uh, paid on call. And, uh, but mm-hmm. it was very rewarding. It was an uh, ability for me to give back to the community and, uh, and, you know, where my business was located. And so I was able to serve uh, not only the corporate community and through my businesses, but also to all of the uh, residents um, of our community through the fire and EMS. Interesting. And you still do EMT work. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
for na- sure did. for big events like NASCAR and Speedway events, things like that. Yes, um, I NASCAR trained, uh, which we go through a very rigorous uh, training each year, both online and uh, doing scenarios at the Kentucky Speedway. Um, mm-hmm. I sit in turn four in the ambulance uh, with my partner, and uh, there's. Uh, you know, anytime there's a wreck around turn four all the way down to turn one, um, we're called out on the track um, wow. to, to make sure everything's good. And uh, if we need to, take the, the driver uh, to the care center so they can be checked out, make sure that they're okay and they can race in another day. Wow. That's really interesting. Very fascinating. So maybe... Just as fascinating as forensic medical plans. <laughs> yes. It, so. it, it, it's a very interesting field. I'll, I'll tell you that for sure. All right. So, Randall, you've written a book, which is how I met you. You were a presenter at a conference that I attended. You've written a book called The Forensics of a Medical Plan, Dissecting Health Benefits on a Company Level. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, yes. um so how would you like to start with this? What would you like people to hear first? Well, first of all, you know, it's kind of interesting how the book got started because I retired from the third-party administration business. And my wife said, well, why don't you write down um, a guide that you can share with young, younger people coming up in that business to help them out and maybe do like a, a mentoring type of written work. And so I started doing that. And then one thing led to another. And before I knew it, um, it was way beyond that and actually into forensics um, where you dissect everything, in, uh, which became very interesting. And from that, I built tools and I have worked multiple cases in the forensics field, uh, and to help uh, companies and and various uh, vendors uh, that serve in uh, doing medical plans, specifically in the self-funded arena. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and, and is so, this? I'm sorry. Go ahead. And so that's how the the book came about. The first book. And is this a book, Randall? That if. Um, as a just an individual looking at medical plans would be interested in, or what, is this written more for a business? Um, you know, it's written for, for both. A lot of people want to try to understand, like, what's going on in a self-funded plan. Um, but businesses, um, the book was written so that uh, it took different parts where I found that there were, were problems and uh, help to provide them insight and some solutions and a uh, thought process so that they could uh, basically improve their medical plan by reducing costs without jeopardizing the, the plan of benefits. And right. uh, there's some models that I created that work extremely well. Um, and I have companies that, that will call me and, and ask me, uh, they have a problem, and so I'll go meet with them, and they'll say, we have a problem, but we don't know what it is. And then so the, the analytics comes into play, and a lot of times it's, uh, it gets into full-blown forensics to find what the problem is, 
and to help provide them a solution. Because um, forensics isn't always about uh, finding a criminal element. A lot mm-hmm. of times it's finding what the problem is and presenting the objective information and uh, some ideas for a solution so that they can improve that situation. Exactly. Okay, can you, can you tell us what the different types of health plans are? Sure. Um, basically, uh, there's just a few types. You have a fully insured, uh, which the insurance company owns all of the uh, information, the rights, uh, and all the profits. Uh, then you have a uh, partial self-funded, and I call it partially self-funded because the companies are using stop loss to protect and, and do risk management for their plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a uh, self-funded plan, uh, which has no uh, risk management protection because the organization is large enough to where it's just cash. Uh, and you, you really need to be a pretty large organization to, to have that level. And then there's uh, offshoots of like the uh, uh, partial self-funded with different types of uh, stop loss that uh, uh, are designed for smaller organizations that, uh, that can help them manage their risk as well. Okay. Interesting. Um, let's take a quick break, Randall, because I'd like to come back. I have some questions about those. And we'll be sure. right back with Randall Childers. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to F-R-A-N-C-I-E 
at PISdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Employee benefit expert Randall Childers is discussing the forensics of employee benefit medical plan. Randall, you were just telling about the different types of health plans, and would you explain stop loss for our listeners and for me, as a matter of fact? Sure. Um, Stop loss is a protection. It's a protection on the plan. Uh, It has a deductible. Um, There's actually two parts to the stop loss. One's called specific and one's called aggregate. Uh, The specific is on each individual in the plan, and the plan sponsor determines the risk level that they're willing to take and then purchases stop loss uh, for the excess protection uh, for the plan. And so that could have uh, different deductibles. It'd say if you had a uh, a plan that had 100 or so employees, you might have a uh, $50,000 specific uh, deductible, which means that the first $50,000 of a claim is paid by the plan, and the risk um, uh, for the plan for excess exposure is done so that uh, the individual uh, plan uh, is not taking that uh, extra exposure but has uh, paid a premium that a stop-loss or reinsurance company Uh, takes that exposure. And then there's an aggregate stop loss, which is really the cash part from zero to up to the deductible. In the example, I gave 50,000. And with that, um, that's what the employer uses as funding. And if they exceed that on each employee, and that is aggregate, so it aggregates the total of the employee base so that the exposure just isn't too high for them. And if they exceed it, then the stop loss uh, helps pay for those uh, claims on the group as a whole uh, to mitigate the risk. Um, So, you know, it's an important part in establishing a self-funded plan by using stop loss. I hope that works. Yeah. Okay. So... Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Can you hear me okay? Um, so the aggregate oh. is... Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Randall? Did I lose you? I think uh, I think we lost Mr. Childers. Okay, so we're going to keep talking here. So... Um, the fully insured plans, there's a premium each month, and the insurance company keeps the profits, it looks like. And then the self-funded plans um, certainly have a lot of additional risk. And maybe there's even a, an advantage of being able to get good rates and good experience from having a reduced cost for a number of years. So I'm going to, um, I don't know why, <laughs> I understand he's still connected, but I can't hear him and I don't think he can hear me. All right, Randall. Okay. You've, you're hey, there? I'm, 
Yeah, I'm here. I okay. just don't know what happened there. I was That's on the, okay. the landline That's, and went dead. That sometimes happens with these shows, so no no worries. So okay. I was just um, so so let me understand if you have an aggregate um, policy, is uh-huh. that one is that I'm sorry? Yes, go is ahead. Is that what we're talking about, an aggregate policy? Is that uh, usually a lower cost to the employee than a specific policy? Well, it, the, the stop loss is part of the total cost of the plan. There's a lot of other things that go into it. Um, but the stop loss really, for the specific and the aggregate, constitute um, about 80 to 90% of the cost of a health plan. Uh, and then the rest of it is the different vendors that are used to uh, make things happen and do uh, the administration and, and various other uh, areas uh, pertinent to having a good medical plan. Uh, but yes, the stop loss will be the, the more expensive part of the plan. So, Randall, when you meet with a company regarding um what they're either proposing or changing or looking at their plan, what kinds of recommendations do you make? Do you, do you recommend a, a one or the other, or what kinds of things do you talk to them about? Well, there's a, a lot of different things, and a, a lot of it has to do with what the organization is wanting to do with their health plan, uh, what their goals and objectives are, uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, if I'm just helping them to structure their plan, uh, then it's, it's working into each one of those and, uh, and doing it on a net basis, um, which is much different than what a lot of people see in the, the normal market where there's commissions or what I call the greed factor that's, that's worked into certain parts mm-hmm. of it by add-ons and a, a lot of other things. Uh, but what it does is when I work with a, an organization, I let them tell me what they want to do and how they want to accomplish it if they, they want me to help them with their, their plan um, in structuring it. And then on the, the forensic side of this, uh, a lot of times an organization will call me up and say, hey, we've got a problem and we don't know what it is. Can you come in and talk with us and take a look at this? And and I do, and, uh, and with the tools and, and various things that I have, we're able to uh, really dissect all the way down to find out what the real problem is and then provide a solution for them. And that, in turn, can help them uh, keep their cost down for the future. Okay, so that's a puzzle to me, Randall. Why wouldn't they know what their problem is? Like, what kinds of situations would they run into? Well, well, a lot of times in, in, you know, it's like when I presented out at the University of California, Santa Barbara, um, I was presenting on vendor fraud in self-funded health plans. And with that, there's a lot of things that uh, can have problem areas. Um, and a lot of that is because of really one factor, and that's called the greed factor. And when I talk about the greed factor, that would be, uh, someone who is working with an uh, organization and putting in their plan could be an agent, a broker, or even another consultant, and they see where there might be opportunity to add some money in uh, that's non-disclosed, but it increases the cost of the health plan for 
the company, therefore, it's increasing the cost of the health plan for the individuals. Mm-hmm. And when I go in to work with them, a lot of times we go through things and, and I look at the, the data, I look at the agreements and what have you, and we'll find where the, the problem areas are. Um, I'll make suggestions uh, based on the facts, uh, what they can do to change it in the future. But one of the things I find is sometimes in the agreements that employers sign, they don't read through it. And sometimes if they do read through it, they may not understand what all it's saying. Exactly. Well, they're boring to start out with. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes they're just signing their rights away to certain things that they shouldn't be doing. And that just puts money in someone else's pocket uh, for what, what they don't know that they're signing. And so part of the forensics is, is going through that. It's kind of like forensics is uh, kind of like uh, doing an autopsy. And mm. uh, in the new book that I've got coming out, I talk about the anatomy of a health plan. And I correlate that to uh, the human anatomy and physiology. And uh, because every part has a function, and then it's just be, being able to know uh, what the function is and then how to dissect it to find out what the problems are. And that's mm-hmm. what uh, a lot of forensics is all about. Interesting. So can you, without naming the client, can you give a scenario where somebody called you with a problem they didn't, couldn't figure out and kind of walk us through what happened with that? Uh, sure. Um, one of them that I did last year, uh, they were looking at uh, their bank statements and then they were looking at the reports and the reports were just showing uh, certain claims that had occurred. And so they asked me to uh, look at that for them. And uh, what happens is when I start looking at that, you have to look at the stop-loss contract and because they're only processing the claims that would go toward the stop-loss contract. But okay. in turn, in that case, um, there was a, a, a term that's used called IBNR, which means incurred but not received, uh, that some of the providers, was hospital and what have you, uh, did not get their claims in in time to meet the contract. And so one of the, the things to do was to notify that organization uh, that if they could process their claims a little faster to get them in so they could get paid. Um, And then the other part was looking at the stop-loss contract and adjusting that so it would capture those types of claims. Uh, And then in that same instance, there's another thing that was found, which is called IR uh, incurred, received, but not paid. And okay. what that means is is that the administrator had received the incurred claims but didn't process them on time, and so it didn't go against the contract. And so with that, we found oh, about $40,000 that the company really? had paid, Yeah, in, uh, but it didn't hit the contract, and some of those would have been uh, reimbursed by stop loss for the risk management. And uh, so it, it ended up having a cost to them, but... With that, we were able to uh, provide a solution uh, so that that could be mitigated for the future. Now, forty thousand dollars is a lot of money. Is do they get that money back, or it's just gone? Um, well, it's 
in one way, one respect, I would say it would be gone uh, because whenever you bring up something to the organization and show them that information on the objective basis, then mm-hmm. uh, they have a choice. Um, they can either pursue it uh, through uh, litigation or if they see that the litigation may cost more than what that claim is, they right. may decide to just say, okay, we're going to accept this and we're going to fix this for the future and we won't deal with the people who did this and, you know, uh, that we're providing services to the plan. And that's always the, re- uh, you know, a lot of times a recourse uh, because sometimes the litigation can get quite expensive, as you well know. Absolutely. And, you know, um, I mean, it's interesting as we're talking, I suspect that most people who get an insurance plan for their company have no idea that there's all of these problems, the inherent problems, and think that just because it's an insurance company, they're doing everything right. And once you sign the contract, don't pay attention to it anymore. You know, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of things that employers can do uh, that can really help them in reducing cost. And, uh, you, know, it's, you know, one of the things that a lot of times I'm asked is, how do we reduce these claims? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the, the comments that I make is, well, what are you depending on to take care of these claims? And a lot of them say, well, the discounts from the, the network, the PPO network. And uh, I'll say, you know, do you really understand what a PPO network is? And I said, it's basically an access point to an in-network benefit. And uh, it's not necessarily uh, to your favor uh, for the reducing of the claims. They'll give you some discounts. And so one of the things I'll talk to them about is true management of claims and uh, how that can actually give them better results um, and still use their PPO network for the in-network access but uh, also use some really good management uh, vendors for the, the plan, and they find out after they've done that that their actual cost and exposure has gone down because now the claims are being managed better, means reduced more, mm-hmm. and it's not uh, to the detriment of either the plan nor the, the individual when those reductions uh, because there's not going to be a, a balanced billing because of that, because of the how it's uh, structured and handled. Interesting. So, so you recommend uh, employing a third-party administrator? I, you know, I, I recommend that, you know, when you employ a third-party administrator, a couple things to, to do is, one, to make sure that what they're doing is, and we all hear this term now, is transparent. Uh, and mm-hmm. there are some people who organizations that will talk transparency and then there are others who actually do it. And so to really know if you're getting transparency in your, your plan is you really need to read the agreements and have agreements, uh, for each one of the vendors providing services to the plan. And mm-hmm. in the book on the forensics of a medical plan, I present a model in there. Uh, one is a traditional model where like the TPA or ASO, which is an insurance company, are handling the administrative part of it. And the other one is called a new matrix, which takes the TPA or ASO and puts them as a vendor 
uh, to where they're not handling all of the contractual parts and having that contracted through them, and the plan sponsor gets the contracts directly and uh, and they do it on a net basis, and that starts reduction of the cost immediately. Okay, so I've got to ask you this question. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so if, if if there is vendor fraud with the insurance companies, is there also fraud with TPAs? It, you know, it, it it's really not discriminatory to which of okay. those that it happens with. <laughs> All right. Uh, the uh, in you know in the vendor fraud is not just with the TPAs. It can be with uh, a managed care vendor. It could be with your uh, stop loss vendor, uh, and a lot of that happens with the uh, agents and brokers where uh, they may be adding things to the uh, the cost of the plan. Um, by doing markups, and same thing with TPAs, they can do that. But you know, most most of the people, I'd say ninety five percent of the people that deal in the self funded arena are good quality people. It's just a very few that uh, cause problems, just like anything else. If you look yep. at the population as a whole, there's not a whole lot of people that cause the problems. But when they do, they can be really uh, tremendous in public. You know, one of the things that st- struck me uh, that, you know, I hate, I hate to say that I haven't thought of this, but I haven't, uh, checking to make sure the insurance company or the TPA is licensed. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things, the first things I do when I do a case, I find out who all of the vendors to the plan are um, and where the uh, client which is a plan sponsor who has the self-funded plan, where they're located. Then I'll check with that department of insurance to make sure that the, uh, the third-party administrator, the agents and brokers, uh, all of the, the various parties to the, the program have the appropriate licensure, say, with the department of insurance, or that they have specific certification so that uh, we know that, you know, their quality and what they what they do. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, when you look at the agents and, and different things, uh, sometimes they may not uh, be licensed in that state as a non-resident, and uh, you know, which is uh, very unusual, but it does happen. Hmm. And uh, in same way with third-party administrators, um, an insurance company typically will have a license in that state if they're providing fully insured uh, programs um, and as well as self-funded. But, uh, you know, it, it's always important to check. And, you know, you might trust what somebody says, but they always say trust and verify. And right, that's exactly. what we do. That's the main okay. thing to do. Okay. Fascinating. Um, Randall, we need to take another break. And so- okay. Folks, that was Randall Childers. Stay tuned for more about employee benefits programs. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Today's topics is topic is exploring the forensics of a medical plan with Randall Childers. Um, he's my guest, and Randall, uh, tell us what you would recommend to somebody that already has an employee benefits program, and they need to kind of look and audit their own plan before okay. they um, bring somebody like you in. Sure. Um, one of the things that I always recommend is to, if if the you know, with the self-funded plan is to make sure that uh, put all the transactions in an accounting system. Um, you're going to have medical, you're going to have prescription, you're going to have different vendors that are paid, um, and your deposits and what have you. And when you do that and list those out, um, you're going to know, kind of get a good idea of what's really going on. And you can compare that to your account balances uh, to make sure that uh, you have uh, or have their, your money, because uh, I always tell the organizations that have self-funded plans, uh, set up the bank account at the bank of your choice, and that you approve the check registers as they come in, and don't just transfer money to a third party or an ASO, which is a third party administrator or uh, an administrative service organization. Uh, just because they say they want the money transferred to them so they can pay claims. They can do that off of an account that you set up. You control the money, and you approve the check registers. And with that and those controls, it doesn't take a whole lot of time to do that, but a lot of people will find out uh, things that they can do um, and what kind of monies that they should have in their account versus what the reports are showing. And mm. there's other things to 
to look at when auditing plans. Um, you can audit every single component of a plan, but you know most employers uh, don't have that ability uh, to do that. And someone like uh, myself uh, can uh, come in and and look at that, uh, go through the whole structure, and actually tell them if they're. Uh, with their plan, if if they were due some money from the stop loss carriers or what have you, mm-hmm. and uh, to help them to get that money as well. Okay, and and some of the things that uh, you look for, and maybe they should be aware of, is maybe like duplicate payments. Um, um, you look, yes, you know, payments to whether it's a medical provider or your uh, prescription benefit manager, which is your prescriptions. Uh, and to the various vendors and compare the various vendors to the contract that you signed to see what's actually, uh, that's what's actually being paid is what you contracted for. Um, and then from there, you know, if, if there's still felt a problem, that's when, uh, an organization or a person like myself will come in and do actual forensics on that and just dissect each one of those areas and find out if there is any problems. If so, then uh, provide the mechanisms to get them corrected. And and when you talk about payments that are made to ineligible entities, are that are they like a fraudulent person or fraudulent company that's been set up, or is it you something know, when else? I, when I spoke at the University of California, it was on the vendor fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, some things in that that, uh, you know, it goes, I, I say, looking under the cockroach's belly. So sometimes <laughs> you have to do that. And, uh, and with that, um, we, I found a problem with the, uh, uh, the third-party administrator, the, the owner of that company, and the stop-loss company. Um, the stop-loss company was not admitted um, they were not admitted carrier, which created its own problems. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the president of the TPA had a special arrangement made with the stop loss carrier for an additional five percent to be paid to them from mm-hmm. the premiums uh, that was not disclosed. Um, I found uh, in that same case, I found uh, uh, fraud with the insurance agents uh, involved. Um, one of them was uh, looking at the signatures on the uh, uh, agreements, and one of the agents signed the other agent's name to the agreement without the other agent knowing it, mm. uh, which is an insurance fraud. Right. Um, and there was, you know, multiple other areas that uh, were found in that case. That case went started in 2010 and was... Uh, resolved by settlement in 2014. So sometimes, you know, it's, it can take a while to do, but in this case we were, you know, not only talking about the, the different aspects of the fraud, but also that the stop-loss carry, which was not admitted, that the uh, TPA brought in uh, defaulted on about a million dollars in payments back to that uh, company. So it's wow. always important. It's like when you, you know, we talked before, on um, the licensure, make sure that that carrier is admitted in the state that you're in um, with the Department of Insurance. Uh, that's always a, a good thing to do because then you have some additional uh, resources that you can work with um, when getting these things solved. 
All right. Well, that brings up a question. If um, if somebody defaults in their payments like that, does that mean the company who has the employee benefits program is responsible to the employee for make up the, making up those payments? Uh, the, the employer or the plan sponsor is responsible. It's their plan in a self-funded or partially self-funded arrangement. Mm. So they are responsible, but very seldom. Like I said, 95% of the time, there's not going to be problems, but in that 5%, you can have some uh, problems that uh, occur, and they can be significant. You know, in that case, it was about a million dollars worth of problems, which is a lot of money. That's a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and then the other thing, even in, seems like even in a program that's honest and everybody's on board, there could be discounts that aren't aren't uh, taken that you're entitled to that just um, fall through that, the cracks. That, that's true, but uh, if you have a good uh, third-party administrator and you have a coordination with the different vendor architectures that people are working together, um, that usually doesn't happen. Um, but sometimes uh, people can get uh, involved with a third-party administrator and you've always heard the term, it's, it it's, looks too good to be true, it probably is. And, uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, take your intuition. And uh, the cheapest isn't always the best. Interesting. Okay, and, and one of the things you address in your book, and by the way, um, if people want to contact you, Randall, how would they go about doing that? Do you have a website? Uh, sure. Uh, the my website is www.benefitconsultingandforensics.com. Okay. Uh, and they can people can always call me or email me, and I've given you those numbers if you want to post that for them or what have you, or do you want me to tell them over the phone? Well, yeah, go ahead and tell them. Okay. Uh, they can always call me at area code five zero two six four three eight seven three nine. Or they can email me at Randall, R-A-N-D-A-L-L, underscore Childers, C-H-I-L-D-E-R-S, at me.com. Okay, very good. Now, I'm going to get into, um, with a few minutes we have left, a controversial topic, and that's undocumented undocumented people. Uh Uh-huh. Immigrants. So, people often talk about that people that are undocumented are not entitled to get any kind of insurance benefits. So can you address that? In a self-funded plan, the plan sponsor can make uh, the eligibility to include or not include undocumented. Um, Typically, they will not include undocumented just as in the fully insured environment. Um, <clears throat> but there's, there's more leeway in the self-funded arena because it's what that uh, plan sponsor will want to do. But it's, it's how you say, the, it, it's walking down a rocky road that you may not want to walk down. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you address is, I mean, I'm saying I'm documented. Many call it, people call immigrants illegal immigrants. Uh-huh. Um, and you make a, a differentiation about the definition of illegal. 
Yeah, actually, I pulled that uh, definition. I think it was from Black's Law Dictionary of what illegal and, you know, how it's uh, stated. And with that, um, you know, as as a lot of uh, people who have traveled, um, many times you, as a U.S. citizen, will travel. I've I've been to Honduras. I've been to, I was sent to Haiti uh, after the earthquake. And then I was also in uh, Africa. Um, But when you travel to countries like that, one of the things, if you have to get medical care, they want you to pay for it up front before they provide you the care. It's not like here in the United States where people will get care uh, whether they can pay or not pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, one of the, the things, if, if you're here illegally, um, there's, you know, in, in an opinion that I have that, uh, you know, the here in the United States, if you're injured and severely injured, they're going to take you to the hospital and get you taken care of. But, you know, I would always hope that people, just like when we travel, that you purchase the insurance um, so that when you're traveling overseas that you have coverage. And that's not expensive. And I would hope that people would that are illegal, that they come to this country, at least they would do something like that because all of us have to pay for, for that um, when they're here. And if they have a problem, whether it's through our uh, medical systems or, you know, what, however the cost may, may come through on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's, you know, there, there's, a, there's a whole lot of things going on, as you well know, politically with right. the uh, uh, illegals, as I call it. Um, I just use the term that, it, you know, if somebody's here that's not authorized to be here, they're here illegally. Uh, if they're here and they're authorized to be here, then they're here legally. So okay. it's, it's just the definition that uh, is used out of a Black's Law Dictionary. Okay. Okay. Well, all of this is, I mean, this is way over my pay grade, I have to tell you. <laughs> Insurance is not my daily way. But, oh, uh, but it's fascinating, and, and we're always, you know, you know how we PIs are. We're always interested in fraud. <laughs> and so, uh-huh. um, I just uh, really never considered how much fraud can be involved in this insurance business. Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious once you start thinking about it. But oh, uh, absolutely, is, yeah. I mean that that, and even uh, uh, on uh, crime, where they, you know, one of my presentations at University of California was on money laundering in self-funded health plans, and that's a whole topic for a different day because it's a lot to that. Interesting. Money laundering through, huh? That is fascinating. Um, yeah, for sure. Be an interesting topic. So, uh-huh. Randall, we're, we're at the end of our time. We've only got a couple of minutes left. Do you wow. have any words of wisdom for uh, people that are maybe listening to the show interested in this topic? Yeah, um, be diligent in what you do. Uh, verify the information read through the agreements that you're signing. And if you're working with uh, an organization that's kind of doing it all for you, uh, request to see each one of the vendor agreements and read through those carefully Mm. and to make sure and ask that uh, you want these done at net 
of any commissions. And uh, those who are the uh, serving in the client's best interest will do that. And on the other hand, if they don't, I think you can make your own assumption from there. That would be a red flag. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining the show and sharing your great expertise. This is real, a real service. Um, thanks to also to our loyal sponsors, PI Magazine and IRB Search. And tune in next week again as we cla- declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PI's Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.